Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Uh, I guess for today's question, Samantha, we're, we're, for this Feminist Movie Friday, we're talking about two movies that I had never seen, but you had. Yes. What was it like rewatching them for you? Uh, yeah, so I really did forget everything about both movies. Which but, are Practical Magic and Witches of Eastwick. Yes, but I will say for both of them, the fashion alone took yeah. me back. And I actually went off on uh, Witches of Eastwick because I'm like, it's back. That fashion is back. What they were wearing, they're yeah. wearing now. And I'm like, holy sh! what is happening? <laughs> the fashion was pretty astounding. I, in fact, um, realized that I had the shirt Sandra Bullock is wearing in Practical Magic when she's like running to this kiss, which by the way, I laughed so hard at that scene and I'm singing that next time we can have karaoke. Um, And she's running in the beginning to her Apple guy. I had that shirt she was wearing. I owned that in high school. I was going to say, are you ready for that range? Because Faith Hill has a whole different range. I'm probably just going to uh, butcher it. Scream it? Are you going to scream it? You're going <laughs> yeah. to scream at it? I like yeah, it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, today we're talking about those two movies. Uh, and trigger warning for talks of abuse and abusive relationships. Obviously, we're not going to get too into the details of that. But if you've seen um, these movies, then you know what we're talking about. Um, Practical Magic is getting a prequel on HBO Max called Rules of Magic. Um, And I feel, you know, accidentally timely in a lot of cases now because all these witchy movies we've been talking about are getting some sort of remake or sequel, like The Craft, Hocus Pocus, The Witches. And by the way, Hocus Pocus is now the top-grossing movie in theaters in 2020. It just beat Empire Strikes Back. Wow. Yeah. People... Like these witching, witchy movies. <laughs> As they should. It's so good. I will say, uh, just to throw this out there, Witches of Eastwick, I don't see any necessarily remakes. Uh, there's kind of like back and forth, but I did see in like the early 2000s or 2009, I believe, Rebecca Romaine starred in a TV show version of it called Eastwick. Did not last long, apparently. <laughs> I don't remember this. Well, if any listeners know, uh, have any information on that show or remember, please write in. Um, So let's get right into it. We're going to start with Practical Magic. Um, Practical Magic is a 1998 rom-com. I hesitate to call it that, but I guess that's the closest thing it is. Starring Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman as sisters Sally and Jillian Owens, who, yes, are witches. Um, It's based on Alice Hoffman's 1995 book of the same name. When the movie came out, it was hammered by critics. Hammered! Uh, An Entertainment Weekly review said it must have had a hex on it. Uh, (laughs) Some declared it anti-feminist because of the focus on love spells and heterosexual relationships. Uh, Like most of these movies we've been talking about recently, though, it went on to get a cult following. And it was also a rarity for its time, a cast of mostly women, where the women were the main characters and the men had little agency and these women were multi-generational women. Um, It really defied genre. And it's Uh, Mm well-loved. It has a five-star rating on Amazon Prime with almost 7,000 reviews. 
Right. Uh, this film was directed by Griffin Dune, who, by the way, was a lifelong friend with Carrie Fisher. Yes, yes. Who said he understood the movie as a story of strong women passing on a legacy generation to generation. And they brought a witch consultant on set who demanded a percentage of the movie earnings and an additional $250,000. But when she refused, she lost it. Reportedly, she said, quote, I'm going to put a curse on you. I'm putting a curse on this movie and I'm putting a curse on Griffith. Apparently, she started speaking in tongues and sued Warner Brothers. And the recording of her scared legal so much that they just eventually paid her. Um, And by the way, this became the inspiration for one of the most well-known lines in the film, which is, curses only have power if you believe in them. And by the way, Griffith got a mini exorcism. Yeah, he it was in an article with Fulcher, I believe, and he said he paid $100 for it. And he was like, you know, I don't believe it, but I was nervous enough that why not? (laughs) Just in case, why would it hurt? (laughs) Yes. Uh, So the plot of this film follows the the two sisters, yeah, who were raised by their aunts, whom I loved, played by Stalker Channing and Diane Mm -hmm. Weist. Weist? after the death of their parents as they battle a curse on their family that sentences any man an Owens woman falls in love with to death. And this is this curse took their parents from them. Their mother died of a heartbreak after her husband was killed by this curse. Uh, and it all started after one of their ancestors was banished on Maria's Island, Massachusetts. Um, and she escaped execution. She was pregnant. She was waiting for her lover to join her. When he didn't, she cast a spell that would keep her from ever falling in love again, but dies soon after, and the spell sort of got twisted up into this curse that promises death to any man an Owens woman falls in love with. And it's really funny because right away, as I, this is the opening scene. Right. And I was watching it, and I was like, this music is very, very upbeat for what's happening right now. And that's something that throughout the film I love, is there will be like this really like cheerful music, and I'm like, that... Uh, that person just died though, right? <laughs> I feel like that's the late 90s. Like they want to be yeah. dark, but not too dark. So we're going right. to add just a twist. Yeah. Uh, so generations of that curse later, young Sally casts a true love spell to prevent herself from ever falling in love by conjuring the perfect man that she believes can't exist, obviously. While young Jillian decides she's very much wants to find love. Uh, by the way, this is very indicative of their character. Sally is more serious, and Jillian is a bit more carefree and out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and as adults, Jillian prepares to move away and insists that the sisters make a blood pact that will, they will die together as old ladies. Can we do this? You and I? I would, yeah. All right. <laughs> Over the next few years, Sally falls in love with a local apple salesman, and they have two beautiful daughters, one of them being Evan Rachel Woods. Um, Anyway, one day, Sally wakes up hearing the sound of a death bug, the beetle. Uh, She doesn't find it in time to prevent her husband from being killed by a truck. Sally returns to her aunt's home with her daughters and learns they cast a spell so that she could fall in love. And in response, she decides neither she nor her daughters will ever use magic again. And by the way, this all happens in the first 10 minutes. Yes. Um, Yeah, so her aunt sort of, they said they gave her a nudge, like a push. Yeah, yeah. And then she ran to this kiss playing in the background to meet this apple guy. Um, But meanwhile, Jillian, um, she's traveling around the country and uh, as Sally put it, like going through a lot of men, uh, being her carefree self until she meets Jimmy. Um, And she she just falls like, is so seduced by him, so in love with him. Uh, But it becomes clear like something is off 
in this relationship. He really possessive, doesn't like her to be out of his sight. Um, so she drugs him with Belladonna and his tequila so that she can go visit Sally after, because she feels Sally's distress. So she drugs him so she's able to get away and visit Sally and comfort her and um, provide help. Um, but then she returns to this man that she's dating, Jimmy, until one night, uh, Jillian calls Sally and tells her he had hit her and she needs help. And Sally immediately goes to get her. Um, but Jimmy kidnaps both of them at gunpoint. Um, and it's pretty clear he's going to, he's planning on killing Jillian. <laughs> um, so Sally is able to put Belladonna in his drink uh, and accidentally kills him, accidentally overdoses him. They just meant to knock him out. Um, so the sisters are panicking and they attempt a resurrection spell, which is forbidden. But after he's revived, he immediately tries to kill Jillian again. So uh, Sally kills him again with a frying pan and then they bury him in the family garden. And of course, he starts to haunt the home, of course. So the ants leave after putting a protection spell on Sally's daughters and instructions that they clean up their own mess. Things get even more complicated when an investigator named Gary shows up looking into Jimmy's death. He has heard rumors about the sisters' witchcraft around town, which they don't really deny when he asks them about it. He starts to suspect Sally is behind Jimmy's disappearance, so Jillian and Sally's daughters make a potion to banish him. However, they realize that Gary is the person from Sally's true love spell, the one she cast at the beginning of the movie. So they get rid of the potion. Sally realizes she's in love with Gary. Then Jimmy's spirit possesses Jillian before moving on to possess Gary, but Gary's wearing a badge and he talks all about like believing in the symbols of things. So Jimmy is temporarily exiled. So at this point, we see Sally and Gary actually connecting. There is a kiss. There's a, a moment of passion. And then it's here that Sally reveals to Gary that their feelings are probably a result of a spell. But Gary disagrees, saying that the curses are only real if you believe they are. Um, but after he sees all the possessing and the upheaval, he goes back to Arizona, conflicted, of course. Yes. But... We see that Jimmy isn't done. He once again possesses Jillian and tries to kill Sally. Their aunts return and agree to perform an exorcism because, you know, they had a feeling. They knew something yeah. was happening. Mm -hmm. And Sally decides to embrace her magic to save her sister. She calls on some of the town's women to form a coven to help, who all, by the way, were shaming her and her sister yeah. and, and making fun of them. The phone tree. That was so yeah. good. <laughs> and the phone tree. So, but then they were like, you know what? This is cool. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. um, and when she sees their efforts uh, might kill Jillian, Sally and the women repeat the oath Sally and Jillian made years earlier and forced Jimmy out, ending the curse. My blood, your blood, our blood. Yeah. Remember this, Annie. Um, <laughs> and Gary returns to Sally, and the movie ends with the sisters celebrating All Hallows' Eve in costume, welcomed and accepted by the community. And of course, they jump off the roof. Yes. Flying with umbrellas. Because an umbrella thing? Well, wait, there's also brooms, I feel. But, they're, but they're they don't like, use the brooms. No, no, they don't use them, but they're there. Um, and they're dressed like over the top witches. And also this had been a rumor that people had about them all the time that they right. jumped off the roof and flew. Right. So, uh, yes. Um, so that's the plot, but there's clearly a lot of themes we've got to go over. However, first, we must take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. 
So we just wanted to have a discussion around some of the big themes in this movie. And perhaps the biggest one is family and sisterhood. And I feel like we say that in almost every movie we talk about with witches. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So we see this power of family among these generations of women, of Owen's women, and the coven of women coming together at the end to cast Jillian's abusive ex out, many of whom have been abused by men themselves. Um, I'll be honest with you, uh, I'm a little embarrassed by this, but I watched this quite late the first time, and I teared up at this scene. <laughs> I got emotional. All these women showed up, and they're like, you know what? I've had a bad boy, but I couldn't get rid of him. I'll be here for you. Like, they just right. all came to help her. Um, that's all Sally had to say is like, yep, I'm a witch, but my sister is being abused. Like, she's had this man. She can't get rid of him. Um, and they all, all these women who, yeah, had spent a lot of the movie making fun of them and ridiculing them, um, they show up. <laughs> they show up and they do help and they share power. And it was very, uh, I thought it was very moving. Um, and then love is clearly at the heart of this movie, but not just romantic love, although that is a big part of it. But the love between sisters and aunts and daughters, um, this familial love between women, um, women supporting women. I mean, these sisters promise they're going to die together. They're going to die as old ladies together. And that's what saves Jillian in the end, is that bond. It is. And you kind of knew that was going to happen. Um, and then here we go with the margarita scene, which oh. you think is a whole potion scene because you see them casting yeah. a spell, essentially, uh, which happens to be in the middle of the murder investigation. Um, and the aunt and the sisters take a moment to dance and drink enchanted margaritas, which is a nice little break uh, from the pain and the trauma. And I did love the fact that it also brought out a lot of truths Yeah. them. Yeah, well, that's one of those things, too, is, okay, first of all, I I did the research. I should stop doing this, but I did the research for this movie before I um, watched it. And everyone mentioned the margarita scene, and I was like, what is this scene? Like, it's in every article. And if you don't know, it's like, they wake up, the sisters wake up, and they're like, midnight margaritas! And then they all kind of dance around, and that, that coconut song is playing. Yeah. And then, yeah, they they kind of call each other's names at the table, but it's in that way where you can do that with someone who's related to you or someone you care right. about and love, but you won't stand for someone yeah. else to do that. And you see that throughout the movie too. Yes. Um, which is is really beautiful. It is. Uh, by the way, it's ended with uh, Jimmy's oppressive, abusive shadow ruins it. This whole moment that they had yeah. with the margarita. Mm -hmm. And it's a, also a, kind of a support and catharsis among the women again, like we were saying, that it does. They are able to call each other out, let each other know, hey, this is what you're doing. This is how you're looking. But at the same time, out of love. Yeah. And it's it's so sad because they were doing this as a healing moment. Mm -hmm. And then still that presence of this abusive man ruins it. Right. Um, which is a theme... That comes back a lot. And we'll talk about that too. Um, there's also this whole, the thread throughout of a woman's love condemning a man to death. Um, <laughs> is it better to have loved or lost? Uh, the danger of loving someone, whether that is loss or heartbreak or abuse. We kind of see all of these prisms of how love can hurt mm -hmm. and what can happen. Um, and there are criticisms that uh, this still paints falling in love with a man as the most important thing. I mean, I watching it, I, I think that might have been 
perhaps the intended point, but that's not what I saw. I saw the sisters of the most important thing. And that dude, I was just kind of like, go away. I'm, I'm more interested in this. <laughs> <laughs> he does use, seem to be an afterthought, to be fair. He does. A lot of the male characters do. <laughs> um, and then if you look at Sally blaming the curse for all of her misery and not really seeing how lucky she is to have all the women in her life, at least she gets to that point, definitely. Mm-hmm. But um, also, many point out that she sets a really low bar for the perfect man <laughs> in the kind beginning because she's like, he must flip, flip pancakes and have a blue eye and a green eye and like <laughs> things like that. That's it. Yeah. And maybe, uh, maybe the message is a lot of women do, or, or that's what you think, because she was 11 or so when she cast that yeah. spell. So, you know, what are you going to say? Um, and the fact that the ants try to get her to fall in love, which is something a lot of women who have at some point in their life been single at a family event can relate to. <laughs> um, and, you know, just this idea that you can have happily ever after without a man and without romantic love as a, as a woman. We see that with the ants, who I, I love all the takes on their relationship that I read. But, you know, that, that message is still pretty there that you what you want is to fall in love with a man. Right. Yeah. Well, obviously. Or sometimes the fact that sometimes falling in love with a man is too hard and just let it be. Yeah. Nicole Kidman character. Uh, as we talked about, Jimmy as the ultimate bad boyfriend abusive situation. Even after his death, he lingers, unwilling to let her go, um, just like trauma. And by the way, of course, this was a really big bad dude. He wasn't just abusive. He was actually a murderer. Yeah, he was like a, serial, like a killer. serial killer. So yeah. there's that. Um, and the depiction of abuse and the, why don't you just leave? And the danger of leaving, preventing from moving on. And I did like... Terms like this does make me angry because it does put women at fault when it's self-defense in every single part of the situation. He was trying to kill people, so the only way they could stop him, like he was about to brand her and choke her to death, and they poisoned him to let make him leave her alone. Mm -hmm. And then when he came back to life and she's smacking him with the skillet, Mm -hmm. I see all that as self-defense, obviously, but everybody's like hiding as if it's like, I murdered someone and yet, it's not really true, is it? Whatever. <laughs> Many of the men are depicted in varying degrees of danger they cause to women. Obviously, whether it's they're going to be told on or whether it's going to be murder. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, I do think it was a pretty... I Again, I'm not sure if this was intentional, but I thought it was a pretty good depiction of like trauma and abuse and... Um, the danger of leaving because that's when he tried to kill her um, and how it just lingers and it some days it's better than others. Um, I thought that was pretty, pretty compelling. Um, another theme of this, of course, is the strength of independent women. Um, the ants are ridiculed for being middle, middle-aged and unmarried and we do see, like, the women's power being dismissed as something that ostracizes them or is more of a hindrance than anything else. Like Sally saying, you know, I, I have all these powers, but I'm not going to use them. Um, but it's so refreshing to see the ants just be totally uncaring of what right. people think of them. Uh, I know one of them in the beginning, she says, normal is not necessarily a virtue. It rather denotes a lack of courage. And then at the end, when um, all of the women from the phone tree show up to help Jillian, 
Uh, one of the ants says, there's a little witch in all of us. Um, so just these, you know, strong, independent women, not... I, I loved it. I loved it being yeah. like, whatever. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, just this whole theme of, like, trauma. And, and I know, like, right away you think of Jillian because she went through this abusive relationship. But also for Sally because she right. lost her husband. It was, like, grief, the process of that and the exhaustion of all of that and how healing isn't a direct path and it goes in different ways and seeing this family support each other through that. Um, it was really lovely. Mm-hmm. You watched it a lot. I, was I watched proud. it three times. <laughs> I loved I it. I say, like, this is a lot, like, Caroline from, uh, you know, uh, Unladylike. This is one of her favorite movies, too. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like, this is so unlike her. <laughs> I would have not picked this me out. It's too. As, yeah, that she, but she loves this movie, and we've talked about that before, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can totally see why so many people find, like, comfort in it. And I read so many lovely stories from people who were like, why do they love this? And they'll say, you know, uh, just every time that I feel it makes me feel good to see these women putting other women first and supporting other women and um, getting a a margarita at midnight every time they watch it or whatever. (laughs) Like, it's just... I guess we need to try that tradition, don't we? I got a margarita. I, I was like, oh, is this a margarita scene? I paused it and I got a margarita. <laughs> yeah, she did. <laughs> it was lovely. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm I, definitely going to add that to my Halloween watch list, which is already huge. So that's yes. saying something. That but for huge. now, okay, let's pivot and talk about the witches of Eastwick. Yes. Um, and I want to start right off the bat with the Amazon Prime definition. So again, I've never seen this movie and I really didn't know what it was mm-hmm. about. Click on the Amazon Prime page. Here's the description. The witches, in quotes, are three modern-day women looking for Mr. Right in a quaint New England town full of Mr. Uptights. And I was like, what is this movie? (laughs) What has Samantha gotten me into? Yeah, I think I texted you and I was like, oh, you're in for a doozy. Yeah, because I I know I said it in our Heathers episode. Um, Jack Nicholson really freaks me out and he unsettles me. And like... Oh, oh, Pete, Jack Nicholson. And with, and I felt bad because the first time I saw him, I was like, ooh, not good looking. Mm-mm. His hair, what was going on with his hair? Purposeful. Oh, well, you did unsettle me, so good job. Um, and I did want to just throw in here, one of the first things I noticed was that the three main women, you have the redhead, the blonde brunette, and then the babies at the end are the same. Yeah, yeah. And so, by the way, uh, there's a couple of columns that speak to that, but the fact that, yes, there are all these differentiations, but also they're all very similar, too. Mm-hmm. They're almost the same in, in, in except for the hair colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so this movie was directed by the famed Australian uh, director, uh, George Miller, who also did Mad Max and apparently did Babe and several others. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm like, okay. Um, and according to Rotten Tomatoes, the critics still like it, and it still holds up, uh, though not as well as Practical Magic, obviously. It doesn't well, have the critics the same... still don't like Practical Magic. It's got like a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was pitched as a dark comedy with a heavy tone of the plights of women versus men. This is a John Updike book uh, and was a pretty big film. There are many differing opinions on this movie, many different, though most were very excited by the star-studded 
cast. Uh, one review stated, written in 2019, by the way, which is well over 30 years after the initial release, Updike's long, deadly, dull, misogynist tract is transformed into an entertaining, generally misandrist film. <laughs> so Oof. I was like, huh, okay then. Wow. All right, well, as far as the plot of this movie, this 1987 movie, based on the book, features, it has this all sarcastic yes, of Cher, Susan Sarandon, Michelle Pfeiffer, Jack Nicholson. Um, We see these three manless friends uh, coming together in a small town of Eastwick. You've got Alexandra or Alex, the brunette, Cher, um, who is an artist and a single mother of a teenage girl. You've got Jane, the redhead, played by Susan Sarandon, who is recently divorced, a music teacher, and Suki, the blonde, uh, who is a local journalist, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, also divorced, with five children. Yes. Um, And after getting together in which they have... I guess a girl's night. Yeah, with, uh, with the martinis, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they definitely had the whole thing. Cheese whiz, all of that. Oh, yeah, yeah cheese whiz. Yes, mm-hmm. in which they talk about how they are so unsatisfied uh, without being, uh, with not having a man, or at least their ideas of the perfect men, and then actually do continue to debate about why they always talk about men when they mm-hmm. get together, yeah. um, and about how they're dissatisfied and living in a quiet, boring town. Um Flash to the next day, and they get the news of a mystery man coming into the small town. And, of course, our mystery man named Daryl Van Horn, played by the very on-brand Jack Nicholson, (laughs) who comes into town buying the local historic landmark, the Lennox Mansion. Um, And, however... The mere mention of his name before you actually meet him not only makes you clutch your pearls... Yeah. But they completely fall off, literally, causing a horrendous accident to befall the community religious woman, Felicia, (laughs) who was not too pleased to hear of the new resident. And though she was seen as overbearing and shrill, uh, was was right about the fact that the devil was coming into town. I was like, what is her deal? Not because I thought she was wrong. I just was confused. Um, And also, I can't remember her name, but she plays... She's an alien. She plays the woman Uh, who... Uh, freaks out in Alien as well. Her name is Veronica Cartwright. Oh, yeah, 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 Veronica Cartwright, yeah. Uh, yeah, she was not happy about what yeah. was going on. And her husband, by the way, is Richard Jenkins, who was in Cabin in the Woods. Oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, at this point, we see the awakening of the the ladies' powers as they make things happen, such as um, a lovely game of angry, levitating tennis. <laughs> uh, I know if you haven't seen it, it's probably as weird as you imagine. Um, as they start accepting and enjoying their new realized powers, the women all continue in a relationship sharing, in a relationship where they share the very horny devil, which is a line from the movie. Um, yeah. That we'll come back to often. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Uh, But the movie takes a dark turn as the town starts to whisper of all the bad things happening at the Lennox mansion. And the three women, so much so that it is in the local newspaper, thanks to, yes, this religious woman, Felicia. Felicia, who seems to be cursed with visions of Daryl's evil plot, um, becomes a target because of this and begins to throw... She starts to vomit cherry pits. And this is all happening. Like, it's interspersed with the scene where we see the three women eating cherries. Um, 
and start, they're talking about her and how they wish she would go away. Um, so it's implied that they are doing this without realizing it uh, to Felicia. Um, and as she continues to just really spew these cherry pits everywhere, and she's talking about her visions, her husband kills her with a fire poker and then sits down and sort of like, well, that's that. I'm calling it a night. <laughs> it was a very <laughs> odd scene. It was. Um, and uh, it's at this point that Suki realizes they had something to do with Felicia's death. And after an argument that causes, by the way, the earth below them that they're standing on to crack, they all mm-hmm. run away and stay away from each other and Daryl, which, by the way, he does not take very well. No. He, uh, after much effort in trying to win them back, decided to pitch a fit, which meant causing each woman's worst fear to come true, including Jane growing old, Alex having stinky, crawly creature things on her in mm-hmm. the middle of the night, and Suki dying a violent death. And as the ladies gather around poor Suki, because she is suffering at this point in the hospital, they realize, <laughs> as they're discussing, that they're all pregnant with Daryl's children. Yep. Uh, so with this this knowledge uh, and Suki's life at risk, um, Alex goes to meet up with Daryl to strike a deal to go back to the way things were for all of them as one big happy family. All of them get healed up. They're ready to go. They come together for a celebratory night. And the following morning, the ladies send Daryl out for bagels and ice cream. Sounds lovely. Uh, but... Unbeknownst to Daryl, the ladies come together to curse him out of their lives. Um, They make a good old-fashioned voodoo doll to cast him out, um, which did have some very excellent 80s special effects. Um, And uh, that whole sequence does. And they all come together with their newborn sons and the rest of the family to live at the Lennox Mansion together. The end. Or is it? Or is it? (laughs) <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so there's a lot to unpack here. But first, we're going to pause for one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yeah, so we definitely wanted to hit on some themes, and we're not getting in too many themes with this one because, A, there's a lot of, like, back and forth in conversation of what is it? Is it pro or anti-feminism, first and Mm -hmm. foremost? And also, it was during uh, the 80s liberal feminism or equal equal feminism right before the third wave. So it was Mm -hmm. kind of in this median level of feminism. So it was kind of like, okay... So what is this actually trying to say? <laughs> um, but one of the things that we did want to talk about is, of course, motherhood and singleness, which is very much hit on. Um, it's not necessarily something that goes hand in hand. We don't usually see that as a big conversation as much as like, oh, you know, she needs to be a mother. She wants to be a mother, blah, blah, blah. But so much more that they are single mothers typically and are okay. Uh, and in this movie, we see heavy emphasis on that as single parents. And But a little differently for Jane specifically, it's that she has an inability to have children and, and there's a kind of like a breakdown of That's her struggle. Right, yeah. Um, and not only do we witness the women struggling to find their footing in being a single parent or not, but we see their desires to not be defined by it. Um, it's almost as if the children are merely there as decoration. Um, it's clearly implied that like Suki's husband left him 
left her because she had five kids, which also, so did you, buddy. But anyway, I don't even know about their relationship because it's just mentioned and I'm getting mad. But, you know, things like that. Well, she says it to uh, Daryl at one point. She's like, hey, you don't really want a relationship with me because I will get pregnant. Like, she just says that. Yeah, she does. Um, Yeah, and, and it's not ever made super clear where the children are. Uh, when the ladies are were partying, which, you know, they should have a ladies' night out. But I remember thinking that several times as I'm like, who is watching these kids right now? <laughs> um, uh, and, and, you know, the kids do show up here and there, but uh, Suki does make it look easy to do these things. Um, she's clearly stressed and tired right. at points, but, yeah, we don't really see that side of motherhood. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, you, you have on top of that Daryl's devious goal of impregnating all the women with sons, which he did. Right. Ugh. Yeah. And uh, whatever that point is. And by the way, Felicia predicts that at the beginning of the movie, that he's coming to make sons. And so whatever that might be, that he needs to extend himself into yeah. the world. And that's a whole other conversation. But then, because the women get rid of him, they become single parents together. Yeah. So it was just kind of like, an okay, this is an interesting So I'm trying to think, I was trying to think, and I stopped paying attention to it, and I should have. But I, I'm not sure this movie passes the Bechdel test. It doesn't. It doesn't. Actually, someone stated it does I not. I was pretty sure. I was like, wait, yeah. they're always talking about dudes. I'm like, I don't actually know what the Bechdel test is. But oh. I realized I didn't. I hear it all the time, but I've never actually looked it up. It's, it was kind of a joke. So, I mean, even if a movie doesn't pass, doesn't necessarily mean it's a anti-women or whatever, but it's, it has to be more than one female character. They have to talk to each other, not about men. Those are okay. your three criteria. Okay, so, wow, I should have known that one. Thanks for <laughs> educating me. But yeah, no, so according to one article, it said it did not pass the Bechdel test. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so it was a conversation. But another theme with this is sexuality and power. And again, not necessarily succinct, but we see here that the women grow more powerful as they explore and embrace their sexuality. Now, is it because of their sexuality that they're powerful or is it their sexuality building up their confidence? So it's kind of that hand, it's like, yeah. which is what? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the latter, but that's just me. As they continue to grow, even after the destruction of the devilish Daryl, they still continue to grow in the power. So as one article states of the women, quote, it is refreshing to see them discussing their erotic desires and experiencing sexual pleasure, which is evident at the beginning of the movie and towards the end that they kind of just continue to grow, but it's not necessarily because of sex and because they're enjoying that, but they're just confident as women that maybe they're growing in their power. Right. Um, However, all this is quickly turned on them as they are slut-shamed by the town and community. Uh, The movie pushes the ever-lingering theme um, of women, sex, and shame, but in a narrative that pushes the viewer, it pushes it to the viewer to see the ladies as victims of a very bullying, stuffy town. So you're meant as the viewer to side with the women against the slut-shaming. Right. Yeah. Of course... We can't talk about sex and power in this movie without talking about Daryl himself. Uh, even though most of the characters talked about the fact he wasn't handsome. And yes, when Cher gives him that dressing down, I was like, hell yeah, girl. And then she had sex with him. And I was like, should I feel mad at her? Like, if she wants to have sex, do it. But I'm so like, yes, tear him down. <laughs> She's like, you're the ugliest thing. You're so stupid. Like, just, right. oh. oh. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, his name is even mocked. Like, so much about him is ridiculed. 
Um, but apparently he had appeal. People were into him. There was something about him. Um, as the elderly shopwoman said, I found myself thinking thoughts I haven't thought since World War II. I actually blushed. Yeah, it was kind of like a, huh? And this was before we were actually introduced to him, even though we know who he is, obviously, because mm-hmm. it's, it's a famous movie. Um, and and he is, as an, the article titled, The Devil is a f- Boy, states, <laughs> uh, is the kind of guy who takes gender study courses just to hit on women, a skeezy alt-bro who uses disingenuous wokeness as a buff for disarming sexual conquest, which I thought was a perfect thing. Yeah. This column was fantastic. I was like, all right, I yeah, get it. I agree. Um, and we see him play this out in his seduction of all three women, whether it's condescendingly using it uh, to bed the women or to make them feel inferior. He uses every tactic to prove his masculinity and confidence with his fake, I'm a feminist, see? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he starts with Alexandra being like, oh, women are the best. I wish I was a woman, but it's so much right. better. Men treat them terribly. Marriage is bad for women. Then by the end, he's in the church like, God made women to punish us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we do see this flip when he's uh, when he's rejected and he screams that they deserted him. Like, and I mean, as women, we've all been there, right? Like the rejection. We've talked about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he plots to torture and punish them for hurting his pride. And then, yeah, that the monologue at the church where he's like, "Oh, women! That uh, the, the, their creation was a mistake." He curses their existence. And as Margaret Atwood commented about the book. What a culture has to say about witchcraft, whether in jest or in earnest, has a lot to do with its views of sexuality and power, and especially with the apportioning of powers between the sexes. Right. I mean, it's just kind of like, oh, it's flipped. Now this is bad. As where sexuality for women was good, now they're rejecting him. It's bad. It right. is definitely this whole level. And and as we see in many a witch conversations. This is the big, big thing. And though this theme is obvious and the actual purpose, and whether it's a statement for the pros of women's sexuality or more of a side-eye toward the level of toxic male sexuality, but as that same article says, it's not so much about trying to understand as much as it is, quote, a very real examination of toxic masculinity and sexual power dynamics couched deliciously within occult ambiguity. (laughs) Yeah, that was one thing I was like, wait, they weren't like witches I I was used to seeing in movies. Right. So, Which, by the way, they never claimed themselves as witches. And right. They never claimed themselves right. as covens. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, and then another theme, again, is sisterhood and female friendship, much like practical magic. And many of these witch and occult movies we've talked about, uh, friendship and sisterhood is heavily placed within this movie. Though a small level of competition did exist, uh, we see the ladies pull through and help each other defeat their horny demon, that Daryl Van Horn. <laughs> but you know what? Unfortunately, as a Vulture article stated in a more pessimistic view, whether it was intended or not, it's also a movie that illustrates that for various reasons, even smart, strong women sometimes cannot immediately summon the hocus pocus they want or need to make a guy like that disappear. Which is sad, but also true. And that is how it ends, is he comes back. Yeah. To talk to the children. Even yeah. though they turn the TV off, you know, they're like, ha, ha, ha. But is he really gone? Yeah. But yeah, and the, I mean, they were having a discussion about, like, missing him and do you want him back? Um, and I know, I don't know. I think it might just be my Jack Nicholson thing, but I was so like, just get rid of this guy. <laughs> I mean, it's fair. <laughs> You're not supposed to like him. Everything about oh, him is skeevy. For yeah. sure. It is. Yeah. And I mean, that 
that really resonated with me, that article you mentioned where they describe like his sort of pickup vibe yeah. and seeing him do it with each of them in different ways that he know it will work or what will be most likely to work. Right. And, you know, again, if they're having sex they enjoy, then consenting yeah. adult sex they enjoy, go for it. But that guy, ugh. He's right. the worst. <laughs> He's the worst. It's an interesting, yeah. And, and then, like you said, it doesn't uh, pass the Bechdel test. And so it's kind of like, huh. So yeah. was this a good movie or was this an insulting movie? Or what was George Miller? And, and of course, John, John Updike has gotten a pretty bad reputation as of late mm-hmm. in his uh, stance and mm-hmm. his representation of women in general. So the question is, what was the point of this movie? I just enjoyed it. Come on, share Susan Sarandon, Michelle Pfeiffer. What did you think about this movie? (laughs) Well, you got some of my very heated exchange text messages. Mm -hmm. I did. Uh, It was definitely not at all what I thought it was going to be. Um, And I think coming from my more modern, since I'm watching it kind of out of its time, I I enjoyed it, but I, I was confused as to its like, messaging. Um, and But it actually made me uh, ask myself some questions about why I was responding the way I was responding. Yeah. Um, again, like when I was so mad at Cher for getting with them, and I was like, but you know, she had just been saying she wanted to have sex. Like it doesn't right. have to be more than that. If Right. You know, so I did, it made me examine some things and I, I definitely think both of these are worth watching. Um as a feminist, and it it will make you think about some interesting things. <laughs> right. It definitely has a lot of like, what just happened? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um. I, yeah. So I I actually recommend both of them if you yeah. haven't seen them. I did prefer Practical Magic, but um, I think they were both worth watching. Uh. And yeah, it's just these. It's fascinating to see these themes of of womanhood and sisterhood, and in these movies about witches. Um, and clearly, you know, there's still. I mean, that goes without saying, but they're not perfect films by any stretch. No. Um, they are mostly white, and there is a a lot of heterosexual, just like normativity imposed on. Like, I, I kept thinking, like, would it be great in Practical Magic if one of them had been or lesbian or something. And it's like that man curse. Forget, I'm not worried about that. (laughs) Right, right. Um, So there's that. But I I do recommend them. Yes, they get our thumbs up. Yes. (laughs) And then send us all of your thoughts on them. I would love, I would love to start more discussion around both of these movies. Uh, You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You or on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Thanks. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs> 